Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. All right. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace, brother in church. How's everybody doing this weekend? Awesome. It's great to be here with you, and I hope everybody's having a good weekend uh, in light of everything uh, that's taken place so far. I know it's just uh, really sad to see that kind of stuff. I know uh, that was my kind of the impression I got. I was like, man, this is really sad. Uh, Like Pastor Bud was saying, though, I think it's important that we pray, uh, continue to pray for our country, and just for uh, continued healing and for trust and uh, leadership and unity and all those things. Uh, But aside from that, I am... uh, Excited for today, for, for our church, because we're going to be starting a brand new uh, series today uh, called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And uh, I, I know for me, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, altogether, like Pastor Bud mentioned a little bit ago, uh, this is going to be an eight-week long series, and uh, I think it's going to be extremely practical uh, for you. Uh, why do a study or why do a sermon series on the spiritual disciplines? Uh, well, kind of my hope and my prayer, at least for this series, is that it would equip us. It would equip us to uh, spiritually grow, uh, offering uh, practical suggestions and how to cultivate these disciplines into our lives. Uh, if you were with us uh, last week, uh, we had the State of the Church, and we talked about how um, kind of our hope and our prayer for this year is that this would be uh, a year that we grow as God leads. And so I think this series is going to be a huge part of that. Um, Another reason why I think it's so good to do a series on spiritual disciplines is because of what Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Bible tells us, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're off the hook with this. But for those of us that follow Jesus, uh, we are to pursue these disciplines for the purpose of godliness. Uh, This is a command, not a suggestion. And so that's the goal of the spiritual disciplines. That's the goal of this series. It is to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness. And so another question you might ask now is, okay, so what is this godliness stuff that we're talking about? Um, I love the definition that Donald Whitney gives. Uh, Donald Whitney, he is a professor of biblical spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he says this, he says, I define godliness as both closeness to Christ and conformity to Christ. A conformity that's both inward and outward. A growing conformity to both the heart of Christ and the life of Christ. And so I love what Whitney is saying there, right? To grow in closeness to Christ and to grow in conformity to Christ. And so simply put, the reason we practice spiritual disciplines is to grow more and more like Jesus, right? The person that we're claiming to follow. I also think it's worth mentioning too that there's freedom in embracing the spiritual disciplines. You know, a lot of people hear the word discipline, and they're like, oh man, like discipline, really? Uh, they think of bondage, and they think of uh, burdens. They think it's restrictive. Um, they think it's something that they have to do, not freedom. But I would submit to you that there's freedom in the Christian life, and that comes not through idleness. It comes through discipline. Um, if you think about it, we read the New Testament, we see that it required discipline for the 12 disciples to follow Jesus, and it requires discipline for us today as well. 
Uh, like I said, there's freedom to be found, and um, I want that for you, and I think God wants that for you as well. So that's why I think this series is going to be so helpful, and I think we're going to enjoy it. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let me show you the disciplines that we're going to be walking through the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bible intake uh, today. Uh, next week, I was going to say tomorrow, but next week we'll look at prayer. After that, we'll talk about uh, worship. We'll look at evangelism, uh, serving, stewardship, fasting, and silence and solitude. And just for the record, uh, this list is not an exhaustive list, but it's all of these things are committed in the scriptures. So today we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of Bible intake. And as kind of a lead-in to today's message, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of influence for a minute. I know that might sound kind of strange, but uh, uh, growing up, I experienced both positive influences and negative influences in my life. And I'm sure you've experienced both of those as well. Uh, for me, uh, my guitar instructor uh, growing up took guitar lessons, and I had really positive influence um, from the person who showed me how to play guitar. Uh, his love and his passion for uh, music was just contagious and kind of rubbed off on me. Um, in the same sense, right, negative influences as well. Uh, by way of contrast, you know, I had people in my life that uh, uh, chose to rub shoulders with in my early 20s um, and after high school, like, um, they had negatively influenced me. And they weren't making some of the best decisions with their life. And, and that rubbed off on me as well. And as a result, uh, I too, you know, didn't make some of the best decisions at that point in my life. Uh, the reason I tell you that here this morning is because uh, you can write this down as well. Every single one of us are influenced. Every single one of us. Um, I may not know everybody here, but my guess is you've been influenced by something. Um, I think that's one of the common denominators that each and every one of us share is that we are all influenced. We're influenced by a number of different things. Of course, uh, we're influenced by information. There's a tremendous amount of information that have, you know, just floods our brains each and every single day. We're also influenced by circumstances. We're influenced by circumstances, things that happen in our lives, uh, things that, you know, we can't change, these things that occur and there's just no way around them. We're also influenced by relationships. Uh, each of us have a sphere of influence where we cause influence to happen, but we're all in circles of influence where influence is taking place. So the bottom line is that every single one of us are influenced. So here's the question. What are we being influenced by? And I would say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you could write this down. Uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what we want to be influenced by is the Word of God. As, as disciples of Jesus, what we want to be influenced by is the Word of God. So because it's only through the Word of God that we are transformed and turned into new people, and we, we want to be influenced by God and His Word. So what am I talking about? Well, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 19, and I'll show you what I mean. Psalm chapter 19. Um, as we look at Psalm 19 today, by the way, I don't think there's any other passage in Scripture that is, uh, succinctly describes the beauty and the wonder and the worth and value of God's Word. And that's why we want to look at this text this morning. I think it's going to be beneficial for us on a number of different levels, um, but one of them being uh, through the Word. Right? It's through the Word that Jesus transforms our dead hearts and makes them into live, beating hearts once again for God. So as we look at this text today, I want us to notice 
First of all, that the word, the world reveals our need for the word. The world reveals our need for the word. What am I talking about? Well, you'll notice that this psalm, if you're there, it's kind of broken up into two different chunks, so it seems. Uh, The first section of verses, verses 1 down through verse 6, and then there's verse 7 on down. And so here in this first section of verses, what we see is that the world itself reveals our need for the word. Uh, When we begin to do theological studies, we find that uh, God has revealed himself in a couple of different ways. God has revealed himself through something that theologians refer to as general revelation. Uh, That's what we call it. It just means this, that God has generally revealed himself in a way that everybody sees. In other words, everyone sees the mountains, right? And they see how pristine and how majestic the mountains are, if you've ever had the opportunity to see mountains. Uh, Everybody sees the birth of a baby and sees that and marvels just like how wonderful and amazing and how truly miraculous that event is. Uh, I know for me, this past year, I was blown away by that. Um, So there's this general revelation that points us to the one who has created. But the problem is this, as amazing as general revelation is, as amazing as, you know, mountains are and the ocean and, you know, the birth of a child, um, it's not enough to draw us to Christ. So what God has done is he has provided us something called special revelation. So again, to recap, general revelation causes us to know that there is a God, but it doesn't give us enough information about God in order to know him specifically. So God uses, again, his word, special revelation, that we have before us this morning, right, given down through the prophets and the apostles, and eventually in our churches, right? You have one in your hand, hopefully. Uh, Maybe you're using a Bible app on your phone, but we have the Bible. Uh, The bottom line is this. We have the Word of God, and that tells us about God and who He is and what He has done. So when we look at verses 1 through 6, the psalmist begins by comparing the Word of God to the Son. And I'm just going to summarize this a little bit for the sake of time because I really want to get down to verse 7, 7 on down. So what we see at the beginning is the Lord's creation just crying out and exalting God, uh, every living being, right? Like imagine like every, every deer and, and maybe, maybe cats too, uh, dogs, every animal, every single plant, every rock, all of it cries out that there is a God that he is the one who has created. He's the one that made them. Uh, Even our bodies, think about our bodies for a minute. Uh, Our bodies were made to see, to touch, to hear, to smell, to engage this world that we have all around us so that we could honor and worship God, the one who made every single thing that's in existence. So the psalmist, what we see here, David illustrates this reality by speaking about the sun, the sun in our solar system. And so here's the deal. There's nobody on earth that can deny the existence of the sun. I mean, it's just there. It's just right there. That's not like a Bible thing or a church thing. That's just a thing thing. Like the sun just exists. Uh, You might be one of those people. There's a really small category of people out there who don't think that we've actually gone to the moon. Um, You might, you know, try to deny that, but there's no way that we can deny the existence of the sun. The sun is there. It's right in front of us. It heats us. It gives us life. It causes plants to grow. It gives heat to the entire planet. And the sun reveals the wonder of God to every living thing. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorite pastors, he said this about this text in Psalm 19. He said this, The sun in the heavens is everything to the natural world, and the word of God in the heart is everything in the spiritual world. The world would be dark and dead and fruitless without the sun. And what would the mind of the Christian be without the illuminating influence of the word of God? I, I didn't put this next part in your notes, but Charles Spurgeon, he continues and he says this, If you despise Holy Scripture, you are like a person that despises the sun. It would seem that you are blind and worse than blind, for even those without sight enjoy the warmth of the sun. How depraved are you if you cannot perceive any heavenly luster about the book of God? I love what Charles Spurgeon is saying here. I think the point he's making here is pretty simple. It's that the Word of God is extremely important especially as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So through creation around us, we see the proclamation of the glory of God. But again, it's not sufficient enough to show us salvation. We have general revelation, but it's not enough to tell us that we're sinful people, that we're in need of a Savior, that we need to repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Here it is, so that people are without excuse. I mean, you look at the mountains, you look at the ocean, you got to ask, like, somebody had to make that, right? Who made that? In other words, we're left without an excuse. But then we're given, again, special revelation through the word we have here before us. Right, so as we look at Psalm 19 today, uh, we're going to notice a certain rhythm in the text. Uh, in verses 7 down to verse 9, where the psalmist is kind of showcasing the character qualities of this word. How beautiful it is, how rich it is, and how vibrant the word of God is. So bounce down to verse 7 and let's look at this psalm and make some observations. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul. So notice the psalmist uses the word law. Uh, he may specifically be referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the Pentateuch, but in a much more general sense, he's talking about the entirety of Scripture, the Holy Scriptures, the law, the Word of God. And notice what else he says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. In other words, it's without blemish or spot. Now, normally, when you think of the word perfect, like what comes to your mind? Maybe if you're like me, you might think of a car with a perfect finish, right? Or maybe you think of, you know, a car and it's shiny, like no blemishes in it. Everything gleams, the chrome, it's nice and shiny, like everything's perfect. Every surface is smooth, all the paint just gleams right into your eye. Maybe that's what you think about when you think of the word perfect, right? No dents, no chipped paint. But the Hebrew word, the Hebrew understanding of this word perfect is a little bit different than that. Uh, it's, it was more than just something that lacked imperfections. It was something that was full. It was something that was complete. It was something that was altogether beautiful and holy and right. It's mature. It's not lacking anything. Nothing can be added to it. That's the idea of perfect in the original language. And notice he also says that it refreshes the soul. I don't know about you, but when I think of this, it kind of the picture in my mind that I get is somebody who is parched in a desert. Somebody that feels like they're just not going to make it. Uh, they feel like they're going to die. Their lips are drying out. Their tongue is coarse and hard. 
I get the picture of somebody who's beginning to think like, I'm not going to make it. They stumble upon an oasis and find water, and then the water begins to make them feel alive again. Right? The water begins to saturate their lips. Their tongue becomes soft instead of callous. Everything begins to feel as if they're actually going to live. And there's a new vibrancy of life. That's what the Word of God does to us. When we come to God's Word, we read God's Word, the psalmist says that this perfect Word revives our souls. It revives and it brings us back to the fullness of life. It gives us newness, and that which was dead brings back to life. In the most literal sense, what the psalmist is saying here is it causes it to return. It sounds strange, but think of it this way. The Word of God is perfect, returning the soul What was the original tension for your soul? The reason that you exist is so that you might worship God. That's why we exist. So what does the Word of God do for you? Well, it returns you to your right orientation. It returns you towards God. It causes you to love Him, and it causes you to worship Him. It means that the Word of God drives us away from ourselves and causes us to repent and turn towards God who he is, and what he has planned for our lives. This is a little bit embarrassing, but uh, maybe you've never done this before, but I've done this several times. Um, have you ever gone down the road in the wrong direction before? Has anybody done that? Just me? Okay, a few people. If you've ever driven in downtown Akron, uh, you're, you're lying if you've said you've never done that. <laughs> There's a lot of one-way streets in Akron. This should be more like Rittman. Um, in my early 20s, I had friends who lived around the University of Akron, and I would find myself driving, and uh, you know, I would turn down a road, and I would think that I'm, I'm, I'm driving. You know, everybody is, every, it's like everybody knows me, right? Um, and I didn't understand. I'm driving, and everybody is waving at me, like everybody is saying things to me, you know? And I'm thinking like, wow, these people in Akron are really friendly. Like, it's like small town status. And then all of a sudden, a light bulb comes on because you see a sign like this. And then it just like jars you to the core. And all of a sudden, I'm just thinking like, I'm going down the wrong way. I'm going to die. Somebody needs to tell my family, right? Somebody needs to take care of them. And then what happens, you, you turn around as quickly as you can, hoping a, an officer doesn't see you. Um, this, is, this is what the Word of God does. The Word of God is a lot like a signpost, right? And it tells us you're going down the wrong way. You're headed into a life that is badly oriented towards yourself, and it will eventually lead you to hell. I know that sounds strong, but it is. The Word of God stands up as a signpost, and it says, turn around. And so the Word of God jars us to the core about who we are and what we're about and what our purpose is. It redirects us. It returns us then to God. Notice what else the psalmist says. He says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Another funny thing that I've done, um, I don't know if you've ever walked into a door when you thought it was going to open, but it didn't. Um, there's a lot of videos on YouTube about this, but, um, or if you've ever walked up to a door and pushed on it when you should have pulled it, 
right? Or vice versa, pulled a door when he should have pushed it. I feel like that happens to me at basically every Chipotle I've ever been to. I don't know why there's handles on a door that you would push. You don't push handles. Anyway, I digress. The problem is that when we're reading, we're not understanding. We're just doing what we think we ought to be doing. And the point is, when we read the Word of God, it's, it's really that simple. We read the Word and we do the Word. We read the Word and we do the Word. Um, he says, the statutes, in other words, testimony of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In other words, those who were foolish, reading the Word of God makes them wise. And I don't know about you, but I need that. Notice what else he says in verse 8. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Notice the word precept. That's an interesting word. What is a precept? A precept is a rule or a principle that regulates your behavior or your thoughts. And the Word of God is filled with precepts. Uh, they're all over the place. I'll give you an example. In James chapter 1, the Bible says, each person, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Death. So this principle, this precept, this is true for each and every one of us. Um, the way I kind of see this, in my mind at least, is uh, the life of King David. So there's a picture of King David. That's probably not what he looked like, but that's what he looks like today. So King David, uh, you might be familiar with this story. He's walking around on the rooftop. Uh, he sees a woman bathing. He covets her. He desires her. Uh, many of us are familiar with this story. Then the desire that was born in his heart finally gives birth into adultery. And then what happens after that? He desires for his reputation not to be tarnished. So what does he do? He deceives, he lies, and eventually he murders her husband. So you, you see how this progression takes place. And it happens the same way with us. The desires that are on the inside are the things that begin to drive us and causes us to eventually reap the consequences of those desires. And so the principle, the, the precept or the rule is that if we don't bridle our desires, then we will be consumed by them. And that's why Paul, you'll see precepts in other places. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And you bounce down to Romans 8.13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so we see these precepts, these rules, or these principles throughout the Bible. Notice he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, the psalmist says. In other words, they're straight, they're perfect. The word that the psalmist used here to describe their quality carries the idea of straightness. The precepts of the Lord, they lead you to life. They lead you down the straight path. That's what Jesus was talking about with the narrow gate. We want to go through that hard path because it's through that narrow gate, that straight path that will lead us to find life. And now notice the result of following the precept of the Lord in verse 8 as well. He says, it gives joy, joy to the heart. So if you follow the precepts of the Lord, you will give joy to your heart. I think that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 3. Solomon instructs us and says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So you see, it's easy to forget the precepts of God, especially when we don't read them on a regular basis. 
It's easy to forget the precepts of God if we don't meditate on them, if we don't think about them. Uh, George Mueller, I love what he says about meditation. He says, reading scripture without meditating on it is like water flowing through a pipe. The inside of the pipe is getting wet, but it's not staying. In other words, we have to meditate on the word of God. Notice what he says next. He says, the commands of the Lord are radiant. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The psalmist also says in other places, the, the word is like a lamp, right? If you're a Bible person, my guess is you're familiar with this. Uh, the word is like a lamp. It lights up the path. So if you're walking down a path that seems really dark, right, or maybe you're at a, a place in life where you're, you just feel very confused or really depressed because of the pandemic, you don't know like what decision to make, my suggestion is read the word of God. The word of God lights up the path. And then notice in verse 9, the psalmist says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Notice he uses that word pure. Uh, some of your translations uses the word clean. Right? It cleans us. When we look at the Old Testament, it wasn't the sacrifices that truly made the people clean before God. It was their belief and trust in a God that they could not see that made them clean. It was their sorrow and their repentance that God desired, not just the bloody sacrifice. The sacrifice was merely a tool that shaped the people's attitudes before God so that they could recognize the gravity of their sin and the wonder and beauty of God's mercy. That's why David says in Psalm 51, he says, You do not delight in the sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And so he continues, he says, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. David's point is this, all of the thoughts of God, the divine thoughts, the opinions, the decrees, the judgments of God, all of these things are ultimately truth. God is the one who defines truth. God is the one who is true. Everything that comes from the mouth of God is absolutely true and faithful. So if that is accurate, then how should that change our lives? Right, that leads us to this last section. Uh, if all of these things are true about God's word, then we ought to be in God's word on a daily basis because it's through that daily encounter of God that we're being changed and molded and transformed to follow after God. So in verses 10 through 11, David kind of showcases the word, showing us how important it is. Notice what he says. They are more precious than gold, and much pure gold, they're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Notice the word is exceedingly valuable. He says it's more precious than gold. What is he saying? He's talking about the standard of wealth that they have, that we have. In David and Solomon's day, it was gold. That was the most expensive item that you could have. If you had gold, then you had everything. If you had gold, you had protection. If you had gold, you had comfort. If you had gold, you had pleasure. If you had gold, you had horses. If you had gold, you had houses, and on and on and on. He's saying that the Word of God is worth more than all of that. And that means this for us. The, the Word of God in your life is worth more than your job. The Word of God is worth more than everything you got in your bank account, everything you got in your 401k, everything you have in your retirement, everything you could possibly muster to sell, family relationships. The Word of God is worth more than everything. That's why there's people that are believers in Jesus Christ that die on a regular basis for the Word of God. And the truth that's found within it. The Word of God is precious. And it's more valuable than anything else that we have. It's exceedingly valuable. 
but it's also a supreme delight. Notice what he says. It's sweeter than honey. Not only is the word of God worth more than anything else, not only is it more valuable than anything else, but it's also a delight to our senses. It's a delight to our hearts. Uh, in the ancient world, honey symbolized riches in a productive land. It was the ultimate source of sweetness. For us, we know that the word of God is completely satisfying. It's a delight. He kind of finishes up and he says this, By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So since God's word is true, it's valuable, it's delightful, and it's a profit to our very souls as we read it. It's through the Word of God, it's through the Bible that we hear the message of the gospel, the proclamation of the King. It shows us our hidden sins and it showcases the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, David says this, it says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you see, if these things really are true about God's Word, if it really is that amazing, if it really is God's word that he spoke out through the prophets and the apostles, the gift to you that you and your hand this morning, or maybe you know your phone, everybody who's got a Bible in your hand, you're holding the very words of your creator that he has given them to you to read so that you might know him. So let me ask you, is your love, is your affection, is your commitment to the Bible, is it non-existent? Is it waning or is it growing? It's only when we begin to dig into the word that we can truly live as God intended. So let me try to be as practical as I know how to be, because this is a series that we are really, really trying to equip you. We're trying to be uh, as practical as we can. We're talking about Bible intake today. There's several different ways uh, that spiritual discipline of Bible intake manifests itself. But let me give you some suggestions and maybe some resources for you to help incorporate these into your lives. And if you, if you miss any of this, uh, we're going to post something online so you'll be able to get that. Or you could just send me an email. But the first one I would say, all these are, are, are pretty um, simple. N none of these are really mind-blowing. But the first one is hearing God's Word. Um, I would say, you know, attend a Bible-believing church, right? If you regularly attend here, um, this is definitely a Bible-believing church. If you're watching online, then I would encourage you to attend a Bible-believing church. We're not the only one. There's a lot of churches I would recommend to you. There's a lot of churches that I would not recommend to you, but I would encourage you to attend a Bible-believing church where you can hear the word being preached on a regular basis. I would also encourage you to check out any recorded content, such as an audio Bible, other stuff on the internet. There's lots of podcasts. There's CDs. Um, something I like to use that my um, guess is a lot of people use this as well, it's the YouVersion Bible app. This is free, which is right in my price range. Uh, you can find this pretty easily through any mobile device. Um, these can be used in really creative ways, uh, such as when you're you know, getting ready in the morning, like if, if you're uh, on a commute to work, um, you know, if you're cooking, uh, what, whatever you're doing, you can repurpose that time, or you can just have the Bible playing in the background. But I like to listen to the Bible when I drive sometimes. I would also recommend uh, reading God's Word. Um, the first thing I would recommend is to make time. 
I would say find time, but me and my wife, we have this a thing, we tease each other a lot and we'll say, well, I'll do that when I find time. Well, you don't find time, you make time. Uh, we're each given 168 hours every single week. We're not going to find more time than that. So, so we need to make time. Um, and then I would say find a Bible reading plan. Uh, there's so many Bible reading plans that exist, but um, I'll mention a few to you. Um, one of them, Pastor Bud mentioned, it's um, our Daily Bread Ministries. They, they have um, uh, these reading plans that we have. You know, we could resource you with that. Um, members of our church, they, they, they get these already, but um, if, if you or somebody you know wants one, if we have it, we would love to resource you with that. Um, a website that I would recommend to you is the blueletterbible.org. Um, that's a website you can find reading plans on, and uh, those are free for you. You can print those up, and I've used those before as well. I would also recommend studying God's Word. Um, there are so many books and so many internet websites and so many YouTube videos you could watch on this, but I'll give you a few suggestions and I'll recommend one trusted resource. Um, the first thing I'd recommend for you to do if you've never studied the Bible is to maybe, as you're reading the Bible, write down observations as you read. Um, Donald Whitney, somebody I quoted earlier, said the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible is a piece of paper and a pen. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, I'd recommend you to record questions that come to your mind as you read your Bible. Um, as you read your Bible, outline a chapter one paragraph at a time. If you have the internet, I would Google search, search different studies, uh, word studies, character studies, topical studies, book studies. Again, if you miss any of this, I'd encourage you to go back and watch it again. But uh, one resource that I would recommend to you, uh, it's, one, it's, it's the method that I use to study the Bible. And uh, this was actually an in-person class before it became an online resource, but it's called How to Study Your Bible. It's through a website uh, called E4. Uh, E4 stands for Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, kind of the emphasis is on equipping God's people. Uh, but the website gracechurches.org forward slash E4 gives you a really, really helpful six-session study on how to study your Bible. And uh, Pastor Tony uh, does that. And um, I've led a couple guys through that, and it's really, really good. So we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Everybody's inside because it's winter time in Northeast Ohio. So I'd encourage you to really take advantage of that. Um, it is a really good return on the investment, uh, and it's free. Memorizing God's Word is, is the next one I would encourage you to uh, take up that. Um, again, have a plan. Write out the verses. Some people like to draw pictures. A picture is worth a thousand words, um, as they say. If you're memorizing, you know, like Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Draw a picture of a lamp. Draw a picture of feet, right? Whatever you got to do um, helps you memorize it. You can find a method of accountability. I'll find somebody else who is trying to memorize the same verse as you and uh, hold each other accountable. Um, an app that I like to use for this is called Scripture Typer. It's a uh, also uh, called the Bible Memory App, and this is just kind of a fun way to memorize God's Word. I'd also recommend to you meditating on God's Word. Um, it's pretty basic, just select an appropriate passage, emphasize different words throughout the text, um, rewrite the text in your own words. That's, that's one that's fun, um, and, and, and this one's really good too, pray through the text. Um, the Psalms, the book of Psalms that we taught through today is, is a great... Uh, it's great to pray through the Psalms. Applying God's Word, probably the most important one. Um, expect to discover an, an application when you open up the Bible. Um, understanding the text, this goes back to studying the Word. 
but understanding of the text is important. Um, asking application-oriented questions throughout the task, uh, the text. Ask, ask yourself, how does this apply to me? And then respond specifically. Um, there's the chances are there, there's a way that what you read in the Bible is going to directly apply to your life in some way, shape, or form. And then I would say this: um, our team has been working really hard on putting together some resources. Um, each Sunday at noon, at 12 noon, uh, we're going to post a short video that supplements our sermon topic. And I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, may it be an encouragement to you and inspire you and uh, to incorporate these disciplines into your life. Uh, I want to invite the band up now, and as they're uh, getting settled in, um, like I said at the beginning of this uh, sermon this morning, you know, we are all influenced Right? Each and every one of us are influenced by something in one way, shape, or form. Whether it's information, whether we're influenced by our circumstances, or whether we're influenced by relationships. But imagine if it wasn't those things that influenced us. Right? Imagine if the Word of God influenced us. And what if instead of the news, and what if instead of the media, that we turn to God and His Word to influence us? Right? What if we didn't allow our circumstances to influence us? Right? What if instead we were transformed by the Word of God? My prayer is that we would be a people that would love God's Word, read God's Word, and be doers of God's Word. Let me pray for us. Lord, we uh, thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that uh, you have given us the Word uh, in text, and we know that it points to the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, Lord, I just, I know how much the Word of God has impacted my life and how it has um, saved me from making so many uh, poor choices and uh, ultimately led me to, to you, Jesus. And so I just pray the same thing would be true of our people here uh, that attend Ritman Grace. And I, I pray that uh, maybe somebody for the first time would, would, uh, you know, take me up on the challenge to, to actually get into the Bible and read it for themselves and discover that each and every, um, you know, verse in the Bible points to you, Jesus. It ultimately points to you and our need for a Savior. Um, I pray that that would be true, God. Use this series, the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, uh, to help us uh, grow in closeness to you as well as our conformity to you. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.